The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast-paced. They can go no huddle. They can go two tight ends. They can go play action. They can take shots down the field. They can run the ball with Cam. I love the options here. Opinionated. Mac Jones was a safe pick, but his ceiling is just Kirk Cousins. To the point. The Red Sox are better than I expected. I still don't think they're winning the division. The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Brady Farkas Show on a Tuesday right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We have a more full show today. We go up until 6.20 this evening, and then we turn it over to Red Sox and Braves for game one of a two-game series from Atlanta. Sox with that dramatic walk-off win last night, thanks to Rafael Devers. And by the way, intern Jack yesterday was tripping out and really confused as to why the Red Sox and Braves are playing two two-game sets this year rather than one big four-game set. He found that very odd. I thought I had the answer, and it turns out I was wrong too. So I think that's worth discussing real quick before we really get going. So if you look at the interleague schedule, the Red Sox against the National League East, okay, they're playing every team in the National League East. They are playing one three-game series against the Marlins, who they've already played. They are playing one three-game series against the Nationals. That comes at the end of the season. They are playing... Six games against the Phillies, and then two two game series each against the Mets and Braves. So it's all kinds of wonky. Intern Jack was right. So I was under the assumption a long time ago, Major League Baseball when they started interleague play, they paired everybody with what they called a natural rival, and that was supposed you know Yankees, Mets, Cubs, White Sox, Dodgers, Angels. Those are easy to see, but everybody else needed a buddy, and that buddy was going to help create. You know, just create more rivalries around the league. Well, for a long time, the rival for the Red Sox was the Phillies, and then I just assumed that oh, they're playing. They've made the Braves their rival now, and that's why they're getting two games in Atlanta and two games in Boston, so that both fan bases can see the rivalry. Well, that's not the case. Okay, it's six games against the Phillies this year: three in Philly, three in Boston. So that's the rivalry. Why they're playing two two-game series against the Mets? One home, one away. And why they're playing two two two-game series against the Braves, one home and one away, I have no idea. I tried to rack my brain about this a few different ways. I'm like, well, hey, maybe they want an equal amount of games between you know, home and away in the division because the two leagues play in different rules. Well, they could have just played four at home with the Braves and four away against the Mets, but they're playing two at home and two away against each. Intern Jack was right yesterday. This makes completely no sense, but either way, Either way, we're going to have it tonight from Atlanta. Eduardo Rodriguez on the mound. Red Sox Braves, 620 pregame, 720 with the first pitch. I am also tripping out right now. Intern Jack tripping yesterday. I'm tripping out right now. Just came across my social media feed. A picture of me, my final day of high school, 13 years ago. I graduated high school in 2008. 13 years ago, my final day of high school. A picture of me on our football field with my senior high school baseball teammates. There's about 13 of us. It's crazy to look at that picture from 13 years ago and think about what were we thinking then? Look at where we've gone now. It's just very weird as you get older, and some of you that are older you know, can chime in on the text line, like what it's like 
just how trippy it is to look back at you when you are that young and think about like what was going through your mind that day what was going through your mind at that point in life did you accomplish your goals did they accomplish their goals very very interesting and a picture that has me a little freaked out but 13 years ago my final day of high school all right, we will have, again, Red Sox baseball tonight, 620. At 545, as we always do on a Tuesday, we'll have Tom Brennan, TB, former UBM Hoops coach, will be with us. So because TB is going to be here in a little over 10 minutes, we got to get to it. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. It's Vermont's most complete locally owned home center. Locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber and online at sticksandstuff.com. You can also get in on the text line 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. Patriots are at mandatory mini camp this week. This was day two. Yesterday, day one. Today was day two. Cam Newton practiced yesterday. Cam Newton practiced today. This is significant because Cam Newton suffered Cam Newton suffered a hand injury, you know, 11 days ago, and he's back out there as the team opened, again, mandatory minicamp. I don't think it's significant that Cam was playing, okay? Remember, he didn't practice last Thursday after suffering the hand injury, but he is out there this week. I've got to say this. I love that Cam Newton was out there. Yesterday, I love that Cam Newton was out there today. One, it shows Cam Newton's smarts. He knows the situation in front of him. He's been in this league a long time. He's trying to hold on to his job this year, and he's trying to hold on his career as long as possible. It matters to him to be out there. It matters for him to get every rep possible. Look, if Russell Wilson was on the side not getting every rep, it probably doesn't matter. Aaron Rodgers not getting every rep, that doesn't matter from a football standpoint. Those guys are good. They're ingrained in their system. They know what's going on. Cam Newton is still trying to build familiarity and trying to build continuity with the playbook, with his coaching staff, and with his teammates. It's important for him to be out there and getting reps. Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, those guys probably don't need minicamp. Cam Newton does. I applaud him for recognizing, hey, it's mandatory, yes, so I've got to be here, but I applaud him for recognizing the importance of him physically being out on the field. Physically being out on the field, this is a big deal for Cam Newton as he tries to build a better 2021 for himself than he had a 2020. Okay, Cam Newton, in order for him to do that, needs a you know, needs this time. And I applaud him for recognizing that. Two you know what? Hold on. I want to get this. Mike Reese, ESPN Patriots Insider. He was speaking on kind of the situation around Cam at minicamp. And uh, see, do we have that? Uh, okay, no, we got something else from Mike Reese. We're going to play here momentarily, I'm being told. Okay. So, oh, no, it's it. Here, Cam Newton. It's his job. Whenever Cam has been on the field, he's consistently been number one through the drills and I take Bill Belichick at his word on this one when he says Cam is our quarterback right so right now everything I've seen at practice it's Cam as the number one Bill Belichick did leave the door open to say we'll see 
if Mac Jones, or whether it's him or Jared Stidham, but it'll be Mac, could potentially compete with Cam. Cam Newton, I'm glad he recognizes that he needs to be here in order to help keep his job. Mike Reese says it is his job right now. For Cam to keep that job, he needs to be out there. I applaud him for recognizing that. The other reason why I love Cam being out there on the field and not just showing up and hanging out on the sideline, it shows his leadership skills. Okay, It shows Cam Newton's leadership skills. He's got a slew of new teammates he needs to get to learn, a slew of new teammates he's got to get to know. He wants and needs every chance to get to know them. He wants and needs every chance to grow with them. That really matters. You only get one chance to make a first impression. And here is Cam Newton out there with Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith, who's around the facility not practicing right now, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, and all these new rookies, all these new pieces in New England this year, they're going to instantly see that Cam Newton is a fighter, that he's willing to tough it out, that he's willing to play through some discomfort, and they're going to see his style and his attitude and his demeanor and his mannerisms and his energy, and they're going to learn that. First impressions matter, and Cam Newton right now is making these Patriots get their first impression in Foxborough with him and not necessarily with Mac Jones, Jared Stidham, or Brian Hoyer. And finally, the the last reason why I love this, Cam showing up, is I'm in the minority on this one evidently, but I really do think that practice matters. I really think that practice matters. I'm told all over and over and over again, spring training doesn't matter. Preseason doesn't matter. Camp doesn't matter. And these mini camps certainly don't matter, but I think that they do. Remember what Frank Edelman said, Julian Edelman's dad. He told this last week to the Tom Curran Patriots Talk podcast. Listen to this clip. We worked hard at practice. Full on, Tom. Just full on. You know, and... He uh, once he couldn't practice because of that knee, you know, it started. It just wasn't going away, mm-hmm. you know? and and you know, Jules likes to practice, you know, and that's where he gets his confidence. And so that's where he gets his confidence. That was Frank Edelman on Julian Edelman and how much he valued practice. Practice gave him his confidence. So when all of you tell me that practice is irrelevant or that these camps are, are irrelevant. I don't believe that. If practice can give Julian Edelman confidence, then practice can give Cam Newton confidence. Okay, Cam Newton last year was a player who doubted his own ability, who doubted his own knowledge of the system he was in. I think being out there this year, in this minicamp, in last week's voluntary OTAs, seeing yourself out there and seeing yourself out there doing positive things can be a great thing for someone who was unsure of himself a year ago. I think Cam Newton needs to be out there and see and feel everything happening around him. I love that Cam Newton is participating. He probably didn't need to, given that you know he suffered a minor injury last week. He is anyways. It's a good look for him. It's a good look for him with his teammates. It already builds up trust in him with his teammates. It allows him to feel confidence in practice, and then it allows him to, or it gives him every opportunity to get reps to keep his job. I love that Cam Newton was there. The question is, though, how is Cam actually playing? 
And those reports are not that encouraging. I love that he's out there, but the question is, how is Cam Newton actually playing at mandatory minicamp this week? And what we heard out of yesterday and what we heard out of today, look, it had me worried. And I don't want to fall victim to the moment. I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment here. I've been, But again, you know, he struggled with accuracy, okay? 9 of 17 today he was, 12 of 20 yesterday. Yesterday, 12 of 20, inaccurate at times, missed a few open receivers in the red zone. Today, 9 of 17, a ball that was nearly picked. He overshot a wide-open Hunter Henry and then skied one over Kendrick Bourne on a comeback route. Okay, What this boils down to is no matter how much I love that Cam is actually out there, Cam's play has been inconsistent. Cam is a player who has the ability to do special things. And I am a Cam believer. And again, I'm trying not to fall victim to the moment here or victim to small sample size, or victim to football in June in no pads. But Cam is a player who, while he can be special at times, he can also take you out of offensive chances. Okay, I believe Cam can lead the Patriots to the playoffs, but it's not always going to look perfect. What I need the Patriots to do is this. I need them to heed this advice. With Cam Newton, the Patriots need to throw on early downs. We get it. They are a run-first team. They're built off the run, and given their personnel, they should be. But they need to let Cam throw on early downs. Drop back screens, play action, whatever. Let him throw early. Because I just gave the numbers. 12 of 20 yesterday, 9 of 17 today, missed multiple open receivers. Cam is going to be inaccurate at times. He is going to make mistakes and overshoot people or underthrow people. That's just who he is. Because, But if he's this inconsistent as a passer now, then it's probably going to translate into the regular season. And if they want to run on first down, run on second down, and boom, force Cam into a throw on third down, they're forcing him to be perfect one time. Third and four. And we're not sure he can do that every single third down. By throwing early, you get a chance for it to become second and two. Second and three. Third and one. You get an opportunity for Cam Newton to, you know, by throwing early, you give him more chances. You give Cam more chances for success. Because if he throws on first and it's incomplete, then fine. You can, you're not out of the drive yet. But if you run, run, and then pass on third, you're out of the drive if Cam can't complete it. The Patriots need to still be who they are. Run first team based off the run. But allow Cam to throw early because if he's going to have inaccuracy continue to be a part of his game, then he's going to have to you know, not have that inaccurate moment take you out of a drive. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We missed him last week. He's back this week. I never got to ask him, what do you think of the Boston Celtics and should they hire the first female head coach in NBA history? former Catamount Hoops coach, the legend, Tom Brennan. He's next with us on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV. He led Vermont to its greatest win in program history. Oh, my goodness! Dorothy picked that one from the parking lot! He's the architect of the Catamounts basketball program. Fantastic. And he's 
with us now. It's time for our weekly talk with former UVM basketball coach Tom Brennan on Brady Farkas Show. On WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Joining us now is the legend Tom Brennan, former Catamount Hoops coach, the court named after him at Patrick Jim. He's the lifer, the Catamount from pretty much everything. TB, how are you? I'm good, my boy. How are you? I am excellent. Good to talk with you this week. Um, I'm going to uh, get to the... By the way, that, that segue is phenomenal, man. Give me chills. You like that? That's pretty good, isn't yeah. it? So. Yeah, I like it a lot. Well, good. I'm glad that you did. We put that together for you, so we love having you on yeah. on Tuesdays. Very nice. Very nice. The, uh, the one piece of kind of breaking UVM news today is that with the pandemic restrictions now over and the state of emergency ending... The uh, college has re-engaged with the construction of the athletic facilities. It got announced recently that they are going to pick back up on the construction. So the new gym, the refurbished Gutterson Fieldhouse, the new rec center. So I ask you now, with the project set to be a full go again, what will a new building mean for the Catamounts? Oh, I, I think it's immeasurable, right? I, I, uh, you know, the way we've been going anyway, uh, with our little high school gym over there and, uh, uh, the, the tremendous success that we've had with it, uh, unbelievable. I mean, if you think about the last 20 years, and, and you know, it's funny, we talk about this, and I, I say it with, with, a, with tongue in cheek a little bit, but you know what? We weren't good for 100 years, and we ain't been bad for the last 20. It's, yeah. just, it's just amazing. But that being said, uh, as the uh, pronouncement all claimed, it was time. It's time. And, uh, we really, in order to stay in the hunt with people and even think about maybe going somewhere else, and that's very presumptuous on my part, but, um, you know, we needed a, a showpiece. We really did. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And, uh, and of course, I mean, for me personally, uh, obviously, uh, the Tom Brennan Court is not going to the, uh, to the new place, and that's fine because somebody paid a lot of money to name the court after whoever they're going to name it after, and that's that's all well and good. Uh, and I am at I've grown up to the point now, Brave, where I'm saying, really, I, I I think I'd rather see a championship game in the new building than another 50 games on Tom Brennan yeah. Court. Uh, so I'll, I'm happy. I'm thrilled. I don't know how long. What do you think? Did they give a time frame is it going to be two years three years no time frame yet given i do believe i mean they're doing the hockey arena first because it's not a total tear down it's not a total rebuild so they're going to get that done first so basketball is going to come after hey do you think with this generation of player is it more important to have the showpiece game gym or would you rather have some dynamite practice facility that the players always have access to? <laughs> Man, but boy, we're just getting a gym, and now you want a practice facility. Well, Jeez. I'm just asking. <laughs> oh, you're just asking. Okay. No, uh, yes. Well, to move, I mean, the gold big leagues, uh, obviously, it's keeping up with the Joneses. You've got to have a practice facility if you're, if you're anything in the, in the bigger levels. But I think for us right now, uh, this will be uh, a tremendous boost because just because it'll be brand new, all the bells and whistles. Uh, the idea, I think, is going to be really neat, Brady, is that uh, it is only going to have 3,200 seats, and I think uh, I think that is tremendous. We we all know that uh, sporting events are being less attended, not more attended, 
And, um, and, and if we can really still keep it a tough ticket, make it a tough home court advantage, uh, with the, the shiny new scoreboard and looking out over the mountains and on and on and on, I think that's going to be great. And, uh, I think, um, I think my grandchildren, hmm. no, no, not even my great grandchildren might be in the new practice facility at UVM, but that'll be as soon as that'll happen. <laughs> Former Cataman Hoops coach Tom Brennan with us here on the Tuesday on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. You know, we didn't get a chance to talk with you last week, so we didn't get a chance to talk about all the Celtics craziness. What did you make? Oh. Danny Ainge stepping aside. He's out now. Brad Stevens, not the head coach. He goes to the front office. What do you make of all this? I, I'm shocked. I'm shocked by it. I mean, I'm not so much with the... Uh, with Ainge, uh, because obviously he'd been with them for uh, almost 20 years, and he'd been in the NBA 44 years, and you know that you can say what you want, but that is a grind. There's no getting around that. And and he not only was a a, a player and a coach, but a general manager and a president. I mean, so he actually did it all. You, there's not one phase of it that he hasn't gone through. Uh, but in Brad Stevens' case, it, it's kind of surprising. I mean, he is. He's so well thought of. I think that is the, the biggest thing. And people love him. Uh, and now it's seven years in. He's been to playoffs every year, I guess, but one. And But now, then you've got to go to the next level. And I think it just wore him out. We talked about Tatum and Brown. Uh, you and I did about how uh, their, their situations have changed. They came in as young puppies, and he was Brad Stevens. And they... You know, they did everything he wanted them to do, and they, you know, I think they bought in entirely to what he was trying to sell. And, uh, but now, uh, they've become different guys. I mean, Tatum is arguably a top 10 player in the league, and, and Brown might uh, be a great star himself because he's also a wonderful defensive player. So, so they have to be looked at a little differently. And uh, I'll tell you what, what did it for me when, uh, in, in the, in the game against the Nets, uh, Marcus Smart took a, a long three, and it was, uh, I don't know, one of, you know, he was one of, or two of 15, or <laughs> he had a stretch there where he was awful. I thought he was always awful, myself, two the three. But anyway, that's just my opinion. But and on this situation, he shot a long three, missed it. I re, uh, Kyrie ran right by him, down the other end, dunked it. You're saying, well, when you shoot a three, you've got to be the first guy back. And you can't give up a layup or a dunk. And, and you know, and you've got to come out. If, you, if you're the guy that does that, and when you're in a playoff situation, you got to say, come on, man, I just got to bring him over here to talk to him, to just let him know, my God, we can't have you doing that, you know? And and Stevens, Stevens didn't take him out. Now, I know he loves smart, and he loved that, all those, uh, you know, intangible stuff that he always talks about, and having him on the court at the end of games. I understand that. But as a coach, as a coach, and especially a coach from Indiana, a coach that is kind of old school, and a coach that that understands doing things the right way and playing the right way, it just had to upset him. I mean, it had to really upset him where he's saying, come on, are you kidding me? Now, now this we got to deal with? And uh, now, obviously, that's not, uh, not the reason at all, I'm sure, but it just made me think, like, how much longer is this guy going to want to do this? How much longer is he, is he going to want to coach with people really not paying particular attention to him? And so, um, uh, so I, that made me, that gave me pause, you know, and I thought, uh, you know, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know if he can keep this up or, or how much longer he's going to do it, or maybe he'll go back to college, although he did turn down 70 million in Indiana. So uh, I, but that was a key to me. And I thought, man, and then when he, when he, when Ainge left and he moved up, 
then I thought, well, okay, you know, that's that's he has landed on his feet again, no doubt about it. Uh, it's a tough job. He's got to learn it, I'm sure, but uh, it, it's probably better than anything else he wants to be doing right now. TB, you've already always been somebody that is about inclusion. You've always been somebody that's about giving people chances, and you've always thought a little bit differently than other people. And this might be the time where the Celtics go in that direction and come over to your way of thinking. What do you think of the idea of the Celtics oh, hiring boy. the first female NBA head coach? Because there's thoughts about Kara Lawson, who's the women's coach at Duke, but was on Brad Stevens' staff a couple of years ago, and Becky Hammond with the Spurs. It's kind of the thought process that she'll take over for Pop. But if not, she could be a candidate for the Celtics as well. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. And I'm, I'm all for that. I'm... I'm uh... I've become young again. I'm not. Hmm. I'm not an old seventy-two get off my long guy. I don't want to be that guy, and uh, I am very uh, okay with either of those choices. If if the people who are making the choices come away, blown away, you know, just say, "Wow!" I mean, how about how much she knows, or how about how much uh, she gets it, or how about how concerned she is about. Uh, social matters or whatever it might be. In other words, if the person uh, comes through in that interview knocking it out, then fine. And, and I think in both of those ways, and I worked with uh, Carol Lawson for a while. She was a very delightful person at ESPN. Mm -hmm. I was with her for a year or two and, uh, and really thought, and she was, she was young and shy and had just finished, or maybe she was still playing, but, uh, but, very highly thought of uh, throughout the that industry that we were in at the time. And then, of course, she went back to coaching. And uh, uh, so, yeah, I, I have no problem with it at all. I, I think that it would be um, it would be a, a, a really, a, a, I'm, I'm not going to say the word ballsy. <laughs> that would be <laughs> ironic. But it would be a really gutsy move, no doubt about it. But I think we're in a, at the time we live in and, and where we're, who we're talking about. I mean, it, it's 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 it is time. I mean, there. I don't think for a moment. Let's just let's let somebody try that and and see how they do. And and uh, I don't think players are going to not listen to to Carol Lawson uh, any more than they're not going to listen to Brad Stevens. So uh, coaching is hard. It's almost impossible at that level. Uh, so yeah, to, to try something new, I, I think it'd be pretty good. I, I have no problem with it at all. Tom Brennan, former Catamount Hoops coach with us, TB. Hey, got... by the way, I know we don't have time, but I do have a, I have a great poem for you. I was going to say, I got I got 70 seconds left for it. TB's Poetry Corner. We got anything today? All right, here we go. Uh, the Ballad of John and Hubert. <laughs> uh, amazing things happening on the corner. Old Roy and Kay lightening their load. And we can only hope they uh, hop an old freight train together and find some new tobacco roads. <laughs> Both old Roy and Kay calling it a day, and, and boy will they be missed. Uh, their love and uh, their love and respect people have for them is like a Billy Raftery kiss. <laughs> Remember, old Roy told Bonnie Bernstein he didn't give a poop about UNC, but like lightning hitting St. Paul on the road to Damascus, he knew where he had to be. Uh, I'm particularly happy for old Roy, so passionate to his cause that he dropped to his knees at least once a game. And that would give me great pause. Try not to like all the window paint sport coats and just as country as a plum. And you truly have to put a gun to Kay's head before he'd ever say dad dumb. And it took Kay a while to pop. In fact, lots of cats were talking. And it's always darkest before the dawn. 
And here came Johnny Dawkins. Duke, Carolina, like epic poetry. Not poetry in general, but mine. You had Hansborough mugging, uh, Wallace was bugging, and Grayson tripping over the lines. We know John and Hubert to be fine fellows both, above any scorn or rebuke. And that all sounds great, but we must remember they're coaching the Carolina and Duke. And <laughs> however long these gentlemen last at these two hippest of uh, we know they'll beat each other about the same, but they'll score exactly the same number of points. Hey, yesterday was history. Tomorrow's a mystery, but today's a gift. That's why they there call it the present. Money available. Yeah, my boy. So there you go. There's TB. Thanks, TB. Always a pleasure. All right. There goes former Catamount Hoops coach Tom Brennan. We'll come back. I don't even know how to segue. CBS News is now. Catamount Hoops coach Tom Brennan. We'll come back. I don't even know how to segue. CBS News is now. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Again, Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. I want to thank Catamount legend, the former hoop coach, Tom Brennan, for joining us as he does every single Tuesday. A little poetry at the end took us right up to the time. I didn't get a chance to tell TB how good that was, talking about Roy Williams and Coach K stepping down from North Carolina and from Duke. Great thoughts on the opening up eventually of the new Catamount athletic facilities and what it will do for the program. And I really liked TB's um, openness to the idea of the Celtics hiring a female coach. TB has always been that way, though. He's always been a different thinker. He's always been open. He's always been inclusive. He's always been about giving people chances and opportunities. So I certainly didn't expect TB personally to be intimidated or against the idea of hiring a female head coach for the Celtics. But not only was he not intimidated, he thought the Celtics and the league were ready for it and the players were ready for it as well. And there was just a billboard right outside of, uh, you know, right in Boston, imploring Brad Stevens to hire either Becky Hammond or Kara Lawson. Red Sox baseball comes up 13 minutes from now. Sox and Braves from Atlanta today. Eduardo Rodriguez is on the mound. The show brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training. It's online at prodrivercdl.com. It is Vermont's premier truck driver training school where they offer Class A CDL, Class B CDL, passenger and advanced skills training. They prepare you for success. If you want to get involved, 893-4955. If you want to be an instructor, if you want to be a student and change the direction of your life and your career, you can go online to prodrivercdl.com. Again, 893-4955. Patriots are at mandatory minicamp this week. Stephon Gilmore, star defensive back, is not at mandatory minicamp this week. He is rehabbing from a partially torn quad, but he also is out for contractual reasons. Gilmore, the 2019 NFL Defensive Player of the Year, not present the last two days. Look, he's scheduled to earn a base salary of $7 million this year, which is below market value for a player of his caliber. Mike Reese, ESPN Patriots reporter, more on Gilmore. He was due about 11, 12 million this year, and the Patriots advanced him 4.5 million of that money last year just to sort of bump him up. So when they did that, they knew that there was another situation that the sides were going to have to address. They haven't got there at this point, and I think that's what is keeping Stefan Gilmore away. He's also recovering from a partially torn quad that he suffered in week 15 last year. So that sort of complicates 
the situation a little bit. Look, the physical absence of Stephon Gilmore not there, I'm not really that worried about. He's a defensive player. He's been in the system. It's not like I'm trying to get him up to snuff. This is not a Cam Newton, Mac Jones quarterback situation. This is not a rookie wideout who you need to get on the same page as your quarterback. This is a defensive player who's one of the longest tenured players on the roster and one of the longest tenured players on the team. He knows the system. He knows what he was supposed to do. Okay, Go out and cover that guy. I'm not worried about Stephon Gilmore physically not being at practice. I think Cam Newton needed practice for his confidence. I don't think Stephon Gilmore needs this. But the Patriots are in a very interesting predicament with him. As Reese says, this is complicated. Simply put, the Patriots need Stephon Gilmore. Okay, The Patriots invested in this team to try to win. They have desires of winning and winning big. In order to win, and in order to win big, you need good players, and Stephon Gilmore is a good player. You also, in today's NFL, need to cover elite wide receivers in order to win. It is such a pass-happy league. You need good defensive backs. Okay, Stephon Gilmore is that guy that can do that. Stephon Diggs, Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham, CeeDee Lamb, they're all on the schedule this year for the Patriots. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, they're all guys that could be covered. Okay, Calvin Ridley, they're all guys that could be covered by Stephon Gilmore. The Patriots this year in 2021, they need Stephon Gilmore. I also think they need Stephon Gilmore in the future. They're relatively, in my mind, thin for the future at defensive back. J.C. Jackson's a free agent after this year and probably like Malcolm Butler, they're going to lose him, Like, but they lost Butler a couple of years ago. Devin McCourty, older. Okay, I mean, like you've got some young players there, Jonathan Jones, Kyle Duggar, but like in terms of pure DBs, I think they're relatively thin in the future right now. So, I think Gilmore is a necessity for this team this year in order to win, and next year because Jackson's probably gone. But because he's coming off a partially torn quad and that he's going to be 31, I can't simply just fork up four-year contracts worth huge money to Stephon Gilmore. So. He's a necessity now. He's a necessity next year, but you can't break the bank for him. So what exactly do you do after the Pats? Well, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line 802-585-3026. That's open. I would try my best to get Stefan Gilmore on a two-year deal. This year, reworked to pay him more, commiserate with his value and his standing in the league, and next year. This seems like the perfect situation for me and for the Patriots. I cover this year, I take care of Gilmore, and next year I get Gilmore too. He gets to be paid like he wants. I'm not on the hook for four or five years, and I've covered my bases here this year and next. That, to me, seems like the best situation for the Patriots. But I don't know if that would work for Stephon Gilmore. He may want that three- or four-year deal. This is going to be the last big contract opportunity he has in his career. This is it. This is the last big contract opportunity he has in his career. He may not want to settle for a two-year deal. He may want the three- or four-year 
your deal. And that would worry me as a Patriots guy, but it may be what Gilmore wants. And look, I don't even know if Gilmore cares if he plays for the Patriots. He may not even care if he plays for a contender. He may be like, look, trade me anywhere that will pay me more because this is it. He's already won Defensive Player of the Year. He's already won a Super Bowl ring. Maybe he just wants the money that he thinks he's owed on his way out the door. Maybe he wants the Patriots to trade him to a team that will give him the four-year deal. Success be damned on a team level. And more on Gilmore, if he is inclined to play on a two-year contract like I want, would he even want that to be in New England? I don't know. The Patriots are in a really interesting situation organizationally. I think they can win with Cam, but there's no guarantee that Cam Newton stays the starter this year and this team remains good. If I'm Stephon Gilmore, do I want to spend a two-year contract in a year-and-a-half-long rebuild? Because if they start with Cam and end up 1-4 and four and Mac Jones comes in, then it's going to be... You know, it's going to be real growing pains this year, and does, does Stephon Gilmore want to go through that? I don't know. Next year, if they turn it over to Mac Jones, does he want to go through that? If I am Gilmore, I if I'm the Patriots, I want him on a two-year deal. That's best for me. If I'm Gilmore, I probably want the three- or four-year deal, and I don't really care where it is, but if you're going to tell me I've got to have a two-year deal, I don't know that it would be done in New England. I don't know that that might be, or I don't know that I would take a two-year deal in New England. And look, people around the league, they covet Stephon Gilmore. On the podcast version of this show two weeks ago, I had on Michael Bumpus. He's a former NFL wide receiver with the Seahawks. He works over at 710 ESPN in Seattle. He's advocating for the Seahawks to trade for Gilmore and says, look, if you only want a two-year deal, Given your age and injury history, I'll pair you with Russell Wilson while he's probably guaranteed to be in Seattle, and we'll go chase a ring together. At some point in guys' careers, they have to make a decision. Am I okay with the situation that I'm in? Guys with leverage. Now, Gilmore has leverage. He's a veteran. Am I okay with my situation, or do I want to switch it up and experience something else? That's what I'm banking on. I'm banking on him thinking, man, maybe the grass is greener over there. He thinks maybe the grass is greener in Seattle, and if you're telling me a two-year deal, with New England or a two-year deal with Seattle, I would say Seattle is better given the Russell Wilson factor. The division is much better in the NFC West. It's harder to get to the playoffs in that division. But with Russell Wilson there, I would say that's a more advantageous situation than Cam Newton and Mac Jones. And it's not just Seattle that wants him. Jalen Ramsey in Los Angeles is recruiting Stephon Gilmore to come play for the Rams on social media. So Stephon Gilmore is a valued commodity. Teams do want him. I want him in New England. I think the Patriots need him. If they want to contend this year, and if they want to cover up for losing J.C. Jackson in the offseason, I think they need Gilmore for two more years. But they may not be able to get that done. Because if Gilmore's willing to take two years, he may be wanting to go somewhere else. Rams, Seahawks, somewhere. And the Patriots may be in a position where they're going to have to trade Gilmore. And I don't want to have to trade him. I really don't. I don't want to have to trade Gilmore because if they don't have Stephon Gilmore, that defense gets exponentially worse this year. And we're banking on the defense being a whole lot better in 2021 and that being a major reason the Patriots can up their success level this season. Dante Hightower returning. 
going to going and signing Matthew Judon, getting a couple of run stuffing defensive linemen, and then getting you know bringing in Jalen Mills. Like the defense being better is part of what's going to make the 2021 Patriots work. If Stephon Gilmore is not there either via holdout or because they've had to trade him because they couldn't get a deal done to everyone's liking, then the defense gets worse, and I'd feel a lot worse about the Patriots as well. Red Sox baseball coming up in three minutes from now. Red Sox and Braves from Atlanta, a two-game set. Sox and Braves already played each other two times at Fenway Park, so Sox continuing an interleague tour through the National League East right now. Sox are three games back coming in to today's play as the Rays take on the White Sox today. And the Rays also, by the way, they lose Tyler Glasnow for not necessarily the season, but he's got a partially torn UCL, so they're trying to avoid Tommy John surgery. So Glasnow not necessarily out for the season, but you never know if he's going to be back. So the Rays just lost their best pitcher for a substantial length of time. They come in today three games up on the Sox. Again, they'll take on the White Sox. Red Sox are taking on the Braves. Big news out of Major League Baseball today. They announced that they would be suspending pitchers caught using foreign substances for 10 games. And a lot of people, including you know a lot of pitchers balking at that, I, I have no problem with it. We'll do more on that tomorrow on the show. Intern Collins cut up audio from all around the globe today on you know, Lou Merloni and Jeff Passett of ESPN. We'll have a lot on the sticky stuff, spider tech, pine tar debate around baseball tomorrow. But again, you're going to hear about it on the pregame show, I'm sure, here as Mutt and Company on the Red Sox Radio Network take over here in about 90 seconds. Ten game suspensions coming for pitchers caught using foreign substances. I have no problem with it. Absolutely none. Red Sox lineup for today, by the way. Again, Sox come into this one at 40-27. and 27. The Braves come in at 30-33 and 33 and certainly underachieving. Kike Hernandez will lead off at second. Alex Verdugo's in center. J.D. Martinez is in left today to get his bat in the lineup. Xander Bogarts at short. Rafael Devers at third. Hunter Renfro in right. Christian Vasquez is the catcher. Bobby Dahlbeck's at first. And Erod is the pitcher, and he bats ninth. For the Braves, the superstar Ronald Acuna Jr., 18 homers, 39 RBIs, and 12 steals, hitting 282. He leads off in right. Freddie Freeman, the reigning NL MVP, he's at first, only hitting 237 this year. Ozzy Albies, the diminutive but powerful second baseman, hits third, nine homers, 39 ribbies. Austin Riley's at third, he bats cleanup. Dansby Swanson, the former Vanderbilt Commodore, and number one pick in the draft, if I'm remembering correctly. He's at shortstop and hits fifth. Abraham Almonte is the left fielder, the well-traveled journeyman. William Contreras is the catcher. Guillermo Heredia is in center, and the youngster Tucker Davidson is on the mound, and he bats ninth. Three years or three starts this season for Davidson. He's got a 1.53 ERA over 17 and two-thirds innings. Has allowed just three earned runs on 10 hits this season. That will do it for me. Brady Farkas Show podcast available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And thanks to it's all thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. Thanks to intern Colin for helping out crushing it. Red Sox baseball next on WDEV.